Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, our focus tonight is on chapter 6 of Ephesians, verses 1 to 4. Before we pray, let me say this. Last week, our focus was on marriages in the church. This week, our focus is on families in the church, children and parents. I want you to know that I lovingly understand that for many of us, this stuff is painful. Tonight's subject, no less than last week's. Children, for example, whose experience of growing up is nothing like this because their parents never treated them like this. Parents whose children have turned away from the Lord. Parents who have invested everything they can, wisely, Christianly, in their children, and have seen them reach adult life with no little or no heed to God. Or parents who are finding parenting very hard. Some people who are finding marriage and parenting very hard. A childless couple who long to be parents. Single people who listen to these sermons on marriage and parenting, and try awfully hard to listen so they can pray for the church marriages and church families, but after five minutes or so, their minds are away and their hearts are sore. Or parents, or children, who look the part, but are just not what they appear or who people think they are. Well, that's all of us. Who hears life is neat and tidy and ordered? Not mine, not yours, for we are a real church. God knows us. He knows all this stuff. And I cannot get this right tonight. I cannot embrace every situation. The list I gave you is not made up or hypothetical. It is an accurate description of this as most living churches. But I love you. And I love Jesus, and so my job is to try to embrace them both, that we might be changed under his word. My job is to speak God's word in the expectation that after the service, 
And Roger is always saying this to us. And I want to emphasize what he's saying is right. My job is to speak the truth, that we will speak the truth in love to one another. That's what a real church family does. And so if you know someone sitting around you tonight for whom this is difficult, and you know the reasons, speak to them. Love them. Pray with them. And can I ask you to do that with me? The simplest thing would be to avoid teaching on this kind of stuff. Yet are we not equally convinced in the culture in which we live, let alone the culture in which Mark lives, that there is no more important practical teaching needed in the church than on stuff like marriage and the family and the home? Both are disintegrating. Or more accurately, both are being dismantled in our culture. And let's ensure that does not happen in this church. So let's pray with honest hearts. Our Father, thank you for speaking to us, instructing us through your word. Thank you for this part of your word, this letter, which sets out so clearly for us who we are as a church and how we are to live. Tonight, as we consider families in the church, help those of us who are children or parents living in families as part of the Chalmers community to listen carefully and to heed what your word says. Help us to pray for families in the church, for parents, for children. Conscious that many of us and some very much find this very hard. Help me and help us all to speak the truth in love. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now our topic tonight, and you'll see that as the first heading on the sheet, is families in the church. This is an important passage in the Bible, chapter 6 of Ephesians, verses 1 to 4, on family life. It is an important passage in its own right on the relationship or the dynamic between children and parents. But we need to hear what it says in the context of the letter in which it is written. It's a passage on family life in this letter to the Ephesian church. It is a letter written to a local church, a community of believers meeting together in Ephesus. It may well have, as a letter, have had a wider circulation, but its wider circulation would be to other local churches. The picture you have in your minds is exactly like this room. Well, not exactly like it, but people are people. The picture that I have in your minds is the whole church family present, listening to this letter being read out. Maybe the babies and toddlers would have been in a first century creche, but children who could sit and listen with understanding would be there. Paul assumes, Paul the writer assumes that children will be there because he addresses them at the beginning of chapter 6. Children, not your children, get them to obey you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It is a letter written to local churches 
like the church in Ephesus, like Chalmers. It impresses on local churches their significance in the world. Why is it that Mark is investing all his energies or much of his energy in helping local churches? Because local churches, whether you are in China or Scotland, is how God's mission is accomplished in the world. Scattered communities shining as lights in a dark world, invested with supernatural power and capacity for godliness, called to unity, called to maturity, called to speak the truth in love to one another, called to put off the old self and put on the new, to walk in love, to be godly, to be wise, to be filled with the Spirit. Now, Alex read that little passage before our one, chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means we sing. It means we thank God and it means we submit to one another out of reverence in Christ. And we saw last week that submitting to one another is not a general overarching principle whereby all Christians are to live in a a mutual respect to each other, a kind of reciprocal attitude of submission. It is rather about how in the Christian community, in a living local church like Chalmers, alongside the absolute equality between all believers And we are all equal, whether we are 5 or 80, in the eyes of God as Christians. In the context of equality, wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Fathers are not to provoke their children, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Wives are to submit Children are to submit what are husbands and fathers to do. What is the parallel for husbands and fathers to submission? It is not rule your wives. It is love them. It is not rule your children. It is don't provoke them and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is hard for wives and children to submit it is hard for husbands and fathers to take the responsibility God gives to them. Now, let's get stuck into the verses. First, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's verses 1 to 3. Let's read them again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, remember, this is a letter that would have been read out to the whole church. Children were present. Children are present tonight. Paul assumes there will be children listening, and it's them he is addressing at this point. He's addressing you as children. And the first group he has in mind are the Christian children who are listening. And we got a hold to that context in the letter. He is speaking to Christians about how they are to live. Christian 
wives, Christian husbands, Christian children, Christian parents. So who are the Christian children he has in mind here? What is the application to us? Well, children and teenagers, I guess, below adult age. We'd say under 18 living at home. And we are absolutely right. And you will hear Ian Devereux, our Sunday club leader, say this again and again. We are absolutely right to assume that youngsters of an age of understanding can be clearly converted, brought, Ephesians 2, from death to life by grace through faith. If they understand they are sinful to the very core of their beings, if they understand that Christ died for their sins, if they believe that with their hearts, they are converted there may be lordship stuff to come when they're about 14. But a child can be converted. The other people Paul has expressly in mind here, converted children in the fellowship of an age of understanding. That's not to say, of course, that what he writes here has nothing to say about adult children with respect to their parents or of children of non-adult age who are living in the home who aren't Christians, but the primary group he has in mind must be Christian children in the family and how they are to live with respect to their parents in their own families as part of the larger church community. You cannot instruct someone who is not in the Lord to obey their parents in the Lord. It's a different instruction. You are too, Christian children, Christian teenagers who know and love the Lord Jesus to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You are to honor your father and mother. Why? Because Jesus tells you in his word, because it is right. And because deep down there in the inner being that is the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you want to. Because you know it is right. Now I remember when I was a teenager, I might have wanted to, but couldn't. But I knew it was right. It's a, an awakened conscience in your heart. By nature, a child may rebel against obeying their parents, but when the Spirit of Jesus indwells a youngster or a teenager, there is a battle that starts and a willing submission to obey their parents, to honor them in the Lord. There is a mark of genuine conversion, yes, with all the struggles and the ups and the downs and the good days and the bad days and the good hours and the bad hours, but the fundamental actions and attitude of a converted child logically is neither rebellion against God anymore nor rebellion against their earthly father and mother if they are converted. But you might say that your parents don't merit your obedience, and you might well be right 
Now, as parents, dads in particular, will come under the spotlight in just a moment, but a Christian parent can rightly expect and need the obedience, the submission of a Christian child, a wife submitting to their husband, a child submitting to their parents, along with the God-given responsibilities to husbands and parents, especially fathers, is right because it is, Jesus says, the right context for the growth in godliness of both. A teenager who obeys their parents grows in godliness. A parent who says, sees their teenager obeying them grow in godliness in their parenting, inspired by the example and the expectations and the aspirations of their child. I want to encourage you as children and teenagers who are Christians tonight to talk with your parents, to pray with them as to what obeying your parents in the Lord Jesus looks like. What are the areas you need to submit to them on? Obey them that you are not. Talk to them. That just might be too hard for you. So talk to your mates about it. Talk to your Christian friends. Talk to God. The commandment to obey your parents comes with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What does the promise mean for Christians? It's not a prosperity gospel. It's not you'll get good grades. It's not you'll live long lives necessarily in this world. It's that you will live a life. And what a wonderful thing to do aged 8 or 10 or 12 or 14 or 16 to give your life to Christ and thereafter live a purposeful a fulfilled life as a Christian and spend all eternity with Jesus. Just be careful not to mishear this. For you are not living under law, you are living under grace. No one is ever saved by being their parents. God has no grandchildren, only children. You are not saved because you obey your parents. That is moralism or religion. You obey your parents because you love Jesus. You obey your parents because you are saved, because you are Christians. You obey your parents in the Lord. And that's why when you teach on this stuff and you go home and talk about it, what what you're going to do, if you're like me, is you're going to want to say, look, son or daughter, your dad messes up. You know now that your dad needs Jesus. And so do you. So do you. Now, what does this passage, or these verses, 1 to 3, say to those of you who have children who are not Christians living at home? They may be little. They may not be so little. And all of us, what would, should we be praying for these children and their parents, children who are not Christians? Think of a little child. What does the Bible say about your child? God has given them to you for a little time. You do not possess them. You are to nurture them. You are stewards of them. What else does the Bible say about your child? Your child is not a clean sheet when it's born. Your child is sinful through and through. They are born in sin. You know that. How un-PC is that? But you know it, and I know it. Walk around Waitrose and watch it. Nobody teaches a toddler to have a tantrum. 
Children are born sinful. And oh, that we would be real as churches on just that one point. Should you teach a child to obey you? I'm talking about a child before they become a Christian. Yes, you should. Of course you should. It is the natural order of things. But you must, 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 and I want to take a big highlight of pen and highlight that as many times as I can. You must, 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 from an early age, from infancy, point them to Jesus. Tell them who he is, why he needs to be their savior. Tell them why they need to obey you as parents. Help them to see that in obeying you, they need to come to obey the Lord. And when they tell you, you are a hypocrite. Just agree if you are being a hypocrite. And sit them down and say, you're right. Your mum and dad mess up. We need Jesus. And you need Jesus. When you are despairing as a parent, keep going. When your teenagers are rebelling against your authority, and behind that, God's authority, love them, pray for them, because you cannot convert them, but God can. And if they've long gone and long gone from the Lord, you are still their parents. Parenting is not a sprint. It is not even a marathon. It is every moment of your life. So keep going. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep loving them. And this teaching, of course, has a huge relevance to our wider culture. We haven't got any time to look at that now. Our culture is throwing this stuff out for a better way. The better way is my way, not God's way. And it's a disaster. And our society is crumbling around its ears, and that is no exaggeration. But that's for another day. Now, let's turn to parents, in particular dads, verse uh, 4. Just so you know, I'm going as fast as I can. I'm trying to cut my sermons down. Absolutely right to do that. Uh, my discouragement this week, and this is wasting time, <laughs> is to, after your prep, we often listen to others and just ensure that you haven't got it spectacularly wrong. Alistair Begg is someone I listen to all the time. He takes four weeks on this, so I'm doing well. I was. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruct. Why fathers, not parents? After all, it's fathers and mothers in verses 1 and 2. The answer to that, I think, is simply the context of this section in Ephesians, is the encouragement to men and to dads to take responsibility. Take responsibility. Take a lead in your marriages and with your children. Be a responsible dad. Share that responsibility with your wife in the context of your leadership, but do not delegate it and do not abdicate it. The instruction here is to Christian fathers with respect to their children, I guess children living at home, whether or not they are Christians. There's a negative and then a positive instruction. Just before we get stuck into that, what is the bigger picture or the bigger principle here that determines how Christian fathers are to be with their children? Mark highlighted that for us. 
They are to act in a way that points their children to God by being godly themselves and bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. They point their children to God. Now, a negative and a positive. First, a negative. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Provoking or exasperating or irritating your children, causing them to become angry, resentful, and discouraged. Now, dads, let me take us through an uncomfortable exercise. Here's my short list of 10 ways we can exasperate our children, all of them unlike God the Father is. One, selfishness. Imposing our identity on them, wanting them to be like us, wanting them to achieve what we would love to have achieved but never did. In his commentary on Ephesians, John Stott quotes from a novel called Giant, which tells the story of a Texan called Jordan Benedict. He was the owner of a two and a half million acre ranch. He is furious because his infant son, Jordy, aged three, does not take to horses. When set in one in full cowboy regalia, he cried to be taken down. His father is disgusted. I rode before I could walk, he says. All right, responds his wife, Leslie. That was very cute, but that was you. This is another person. Maybe he just doesn't like horses. He's a Benedict, his father retorts. And I will make a horseman out of him if I have to tie him to a horse. His wife, you've been playing God so long, you think you run the world. Benedict, I run the part of it that's mine. His wife, he's not yours. He's yours and mine. And not even ours. He is himself. Number two, severity or harshness. Children are fragile. The deepest wounds are with the tongue. Inconsistency. Inconsistency is when your children just do not know where they are at with you from one day to the next. What kind of mood is dad in tonight? When is he going to fly off the handle? Number four, unreasonableness. They're all counter-God things, you see. Unreasonableness. Why did you do that? I didn't. I don't care. Do as, you, do as I say. I am your father. But dad, do as you say. I am your father. I'm not listening anymore. Now, it can be right to say that. But not if it's unreasonable. Number five, not letting your children be children. Children do daft things, silly things. They are children. Let them be childlike. Number six, failure to distinguish between childish irresponsibility and willful disobedience. You know, when they squirt out too much ketchup again, or knock over their cup again, or lose their homework, or forget to do their homework. Sometimes it's willful disobedience, but oftentimes it's just childish irresponsibility. You can't help yourself as a kid squeezing a ketchup. Don't berate them. Failure to recognize that every time our children do not conform to our expectations, 
we can't necessarily brand that as rebellion. Adolescence is trying to find out where the boundaries are. You cannot find out where the boundaries are without breaching some of them. Now, this is not management speak for parenting. This is straight out of the Bible. It's the opposite of how God is with us. It's exactly that. Failing to acknowledge progress or belittling their achievements, pointing out their faults. So they've actually tidied their room. At last, you go and see it. And what do you see? You missed that bit. Or they get 60 in a test and you say, what did your friends get? Or a little kid brings you home their drawing from nursery and you really are struggling to work out what animal it is. And they rush to show it to you and you're just not interested. You're on the phone. Favoritism. Unfavorable or unfair comparisons. Your brother worked so hard. Your sister makes her bed every morning. Fair enough. But your brother and sister might be Pharisees. What should you say to your kid? Is it wrong to say, make your bed every morning? No, it's not. Here's what you should say. Make your bed. Please, can you make your bed in the morning? It's a big help. Just miss out the bed. Your sister always makes her bed. Or say, come on, let's get an hour's work done. Don't say your sister did three hours every night. There's a short list of ten. You see how what this does to us as dads? It makes us better dads, but somewhere along the line, it means we sit down with our kids and we say, come on, your dad needs Jesus. And so do you. You see what it's doing? Here's one more on the top of the 10. Don't tell your children. Please don't tell your children. This is my plea to you as a pastor and to my own heart and to my own family. Please do not tell your children that the most important thing in their lives is that they follow Jesus and then contradict it every single day by encouraging them to make all sorts of other idols in their life. There is nothing, bar nothing short of loving Jesus. Nothing else matters in the end as much as that. All these things, selfishness, severity, harshness, inconsistency, unreasonableness, not letting your kids be kids, on through the list, favoritism, making idols, things that don't matter, all of these things are the opposite of what God our Heavenly Father is like. And when we don't do these things, when we don't provoke our children, when we're godly in our fatherhood, we show them what God is like. Now, does that really encourage you, though? Come on. Come on, dads. Doesn't the short list, let alone the long list, of exasperating traits make us squirm? Do you think perhaps they will never, ever see the fatherhood of God through how you are as a father? I think perhaps they won't see it in you until you sit down and tell them that the only reason they see it in you when they do is because God, by His Holy Spirit, lives in your dad's heart and is changing him. Luke, son, your dad's a sinner. He has mortal flesh. He messes up. He needs Jesus but he's trying, he's trying, and he's getting better. I'm trying to be a good dad, and let's be honest, you're trying and messing up too. You need Jesus just as much as dad.
the positive, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's uh, springtime, though you wouldn't know it this weekend, not a good illustration. It's a uh, gardening season, and if you live in Meadowspot, it is definitely gardening season. The key in Meadowspot is to have a neat front garden. What goes on behind the scenes doesn't matter. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this a number of years ago. In another world, he said this, another world, nothing to do with our world, if parents gave as much thought to the reading of their children as they do to the reading of animals and flowers, our country might be much better. But that's an old world. We spend hours nurturing, caring, feeding our shrubs, lawns and roses, weeding the flower beds, cutting our hedges, the phrase bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord means nourishing, it means feeding them. We are to bring them up on the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we're running out of time. There's one big application here. Talk to them about Jesus and teach them the Bible. That's what it means in a nutshell. Talk to them about Jesus, read the Bible with them, give them Jesus' words, take them to a Bible teaching church and never, ever, ever give them the impression it doesn't matter. Here's a way to illustrate that. Think of a hungry teenager. Shall we bother with tea tonight? Shall we bother with lunch today? Daft question. More like, shall we bother with an extra meal or an extra lunch? What about, shall we bother with church today? Shall we read the Bible together as a family after dinner or sit and eat our dinner in front of the telly again? Shall we bother to feed our children the living words of the living God? Now, were we as a church family just to heed one thing tonight, were it that, there would be a, a, there would be a whole pile of good done for the souls of children and parents in every church. Let me finish with why this matters. It matters to an individual family because this is what God says is best for a family. It's what makes family life good and strong and loving and meaningful. It's what gets a family to Jesus because they try doing this and do it pretty well often, but you always end up having to go to Jesus to provide the missing link. When the relationship is right in a family, both parents and children grow in godliness. To it, it matters to the church families are part of it. It matters to Chalmers. Remember the message of Ephesians as a whole. God's plan in the fullness of time is to unite us all in Christ. God's plan in the present is to scatter churches all over the world where evangelism matters where training matters, where discipleship matters, where marriages matter, where families matter, where parenting matters, where children are being their parents matters. Churches where parents do not forbid the thought, abdicate the responsibility of parenting to the school, nor the church the primary responsibility of parenting is given to parents and children, not the church. It matters in Chalmers because this local church is to be a picture 
stumbling and fitful and failing as it is of eternity, in what way? By unity and by maturity, community. How does a community show unity when the marriages and the families in that community, along with a whole lot of other stuff, are united in the pattern God has given them to live and they, they swell the unity of the church. And it matters to the God who created the family and the God who created marriage and the God that we love and want to serve and want to obey. In the end of the day, it is a matter of plain obedience to a soul. If it sounds controversial, and it does in our culture, that is for one of three reasons, because it is different from our culture, but that, of course, doesn't alter any way the rightness of it. Or we haven't studied what the Bible teaches about family, or we have studied it and listened to what it says. We do not understand it, but you won't accept it. Please don't go home tonight and take me apart, because by and large, I've said what the Bible says. I may have got some bits of it wrong, but by and large, these are Jesus' words to us. Now, the families go home and talk about it, pray about it. Children, do not lecture your parents on how they fall short. Just inspire them by your obedience. Parents, do not lecture your children on how they fall short. Don't provoke them. Read the Bible with them. But I think the real conversations will be gathered around the dinner table or whatever it is. Come on, let's acknowledge just how much we all mess up. And let's pray together. And let's tell Jesus how much we need him. And to those of you whose children have long gone, remember parenting goes on until you have no more breath. And to those of you who have never, ever received anything like the fatherhood of God and a human parent, you have a heavenly father. And you have a church family. Was God right when he wrote this stuff? Or is our culture right? Let's pray. Father God, it's been a lot tonight to get our heads around. It's a big subject. And we pray that we would pick up the baton and speak the truth in love to one another afterwards and in the days and weeks to come. Heal the hurting, we ask. Help us to love one another. And help us to go home and to have these kind of conversations for the good of the church family and our own families. And because we love you, Amen.